The New Testament lesson for this morning comes from the book of Acts, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 25. So listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights. And rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And the same hour of the night, he took them up and washed their wounds then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire house rejoiced because he had become a believer in God. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So over the course of the past five weeks, we have been exploring Jesus' call in Matthew 25 to serve the least of these. Jesus offers a parable in which the sheep are blessed and offered the kingdom of God, and the goats are not, because of how they have tended to those in need around them. For when I was hungry, you gave me food, thirsty, and you gave me something to drink, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me naked, and you gave me clothing sick, and you took care of me in prison, and you visited me. And when the sheep and goats in the passage both act quite surprised, and they tell Jesus, but when did we do this for you, Jesus? Jesus responds, whenever you did it for one of the least of these who are my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. This call that he sets forth is a lofty one, to be sure, but in most cases, it's a call that we can get our head and our hands and our heart around. We know what to do when someone is hungry or thirsty. We can handle offering clothing to the naked. We understand what caring for someone who is sick looks like, even if it's difficult. We can spot someone new in our midst and go about extending a word of welcome to a stranger. In all of those cases, it feels like living out Christ's call is a matter of simply doing the work. But the call to visit the prisoner is a tough one. 
It's the hardest to engage. Most of us as ordinary citizens can't just like roll up to a prison and knock on the door and say, I'd like to visit someone. Prisons by their very structure and system separate and distance those on the inside from those on the outside. And our prison system is designed to make those who are incarcerated feel invisible, hidden, out of sight, out of mind, out of our concern. And I have to wonder if the thing that makes this particular charge the hardest, the way that prisons separate, isn't the very reason that Jesus includes visiting the prisoner on the list of ways that we can meet and serve Christ. When Jesus stood in the temple and unrolled the scroll of Isaiah that you heard Sawyer read this morning, proclaiming the mission of God that would define his ministry, he announced, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has sent me to proclaim good news to the oppressed, liberty to the captive, and release to the prisoner. Jesus knew that being seen as fully human, as worthy of God's love, is a source of liberation that transcends whatever legal systems and physical walls we can construct to separate ourselves. There is nowhere, not even a prison, where the power of Christ's grace and love cannot reach. And there is no person that God is not capable of redeeming. Jesus showed us this again and again in his ministry, but Jesus calls us to this work of visiting the prisoner, not so that we can be sorted as sheep and offer eternal life, but because the work of liberating takes all of us. But the task isn't easy. Prisons separate, construct barriers that prevent us from seeing one another in the way that God sees. And the system sorts, right? It tells us that those in orange jumpsuits or tan suits are captive, and those dressed as guards or staff or on the outside are free. The system tells us that those who are on the inside are worth less than those on the outside. And yet, we hear this morning's story in the book of Acts, and those lines aren't as clear as the uniforms would suggest. On the surface of today's story, it appears simple, right? Paul and Silas are captive, locked in prison, accused of disturbing the city and ad advocating customs that are unlawful to Romans. And so here they are, shackled in a dark prison cell, unjustly but imprisoned nonetheless. And inside the jail with them is a jailer responsible for keeping them in their place, but free himself. Then we start unpacking what happens in the scene, and it tells a completely different story. Because as Paul and Silas sat in prison singing songs and praying and sharing Christ with others, they didn't let their physical captivity inhibit that call by God to see others as brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow humans loved by a gracious God. But the jailer... The one who was technically free in this story appears imprisoned by fear. He knew that if he didn't submit to the rules of the powerful, he would be held responsible. 
and the threat of failure was so great that he would rather have taken his life than face the authorities. And into this complex scene of captivity and freedom, Scripture says suddenly there is an earthquake that's so violent that it shakes the ground of the prison, and all the doors are opened and everyone's chains are unfastened. And in this earth-shattering moment, God broke down all the physical barriers that separated one from another. Anyone who would have felt captive would have looked at that scene and hightailed it out of there as fast as they could have, right? But that's not what happened. Paul and Silas and the other prisoners stayed. And the jailer, who was trembling in fear of having lost them, responded in that moment, not by locking them back up, but with a trust and a curiosity and a shared humanity born out of this moment, with fresh eyes, they were able to see one another as Christ sees. And in doing so, they were all set free. When I was serving as a campus minister at Duke, my students and I took to heart this call of Jesus in Matthew 25 to visit the prisoner, to break down those boundaries. But of course, we couldn't just go to a prison and visit someone. The local NPR station, WUNC, that year on a show called The Story was offering accounts of those who were spending their life behind bars as death row inmates in North Carolina. And the news outlined the troubling conditions and the fear and the sadness that most of those individuals felt. There was this one particular interview that stood out, though, and the inmate remarked, the hardest part is that I feel forgotten by everyone, by my family, by the world. One year, I didn't even get a Christmas card. And I thought about the slew of Christmas cards that I send and receive each year, and this sense of being forgotten, even down to a Christmas card, stood out. A member at First Presbyterian in Durham heard the same story, and she said, I may not be able to fix the prison system, but I can do something about this. And so we teamed up with the mission team at first to decorate and write and send a Christmas card to every individual on death row in North Carolina, all 151 of them. And so the evening came, and the students gathered for this project, and you could tell everyone was like a little bit anxious. I had a number of aspiring lawyers in the group who were both excited to engage in this project and also questioning why we would spend time on something that they didn't see would have any substantive change in a broken system. Many of my justice-minded students thought this was a great idea, but then they they picked up their first blank card and a crayon because the prison would allow no decoration beyond plain paper and crayon or colored pencil. And they all sort of sat around this table staring at each other. What do you draw on the front of this card? What do you write on the inside of a card to someone on death row? What do you put on a card for someone that you will never meet, whose Christmas day would probably look like every other day inside for the rest of their life? One student asked, 
should I wish them a Merry Christmas? Like, is that being kind or is that a slap in the face? Another sat there aware that the person they were writing to shared their birthday. A third realized that the person they were writing to had been behind bars longer than they had been alive. A few in the group had just finished a criminal justice course and knew that some of these individuals had been locked away forever for doing something that was truly gruesome. But there was also a chance that someone on this list had been wrongfully convicted. And regardless of their guilt or innocence, all of these individuals were surely carrying trauma. And suddenly this simple project, sending a Christmas card to someone in prison, was a lot more complicated than a kid's coloring project. But there was this one college sophomore who'd been quietly decorating her card in the corner of the room, and she said, can I share what I wrote? Here was the inside of her card. I took a picture of it to remember it this many years later. She wrote, Dear John Henry, this Christmas I hope for you a good attitude, creativity, and strength. Actually, I hope that for every human being. I'll be honest, I don't know what to say to you. I, I do want you to know that you are being thought of and loved. I'm a college student, and I hope that maybe if I pray for you, and then in parentheses, that's not really an if, I will pray for you, that maybe you would pray for me too. I'm looking for some guidance right now. I hope you have a good day this Christmas, and tomorrow too, you know? Why not? Sincerely, Mary. And her letter just broke open all of the barriers that we were experiencing staring at those blank white cards. That line, I hope that for every human being. It was a reminder that no matter what the circumstances, the people that we were writing to shared our common humanity. They still had feelings and cares and hopes. They were deserving of prayer, but also capable of prayer for others. And in that moment, even without the ability to physically visit the prisoner, the dividing walls that separated us came tumbling down. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann writes, the truth of human freedom lies in the love that breaks down barriers. In the book of Acts, God broke down the physical barriers of the jail cells, but it was the risen Christ who showed up not in natural disaster, but in the encounter between Paul and Silas and the jailer. In visiting with one another, freedom came not just for Paul and Silas, but for the jailer as well. He may have been a participant in oppressive structures, but he was also captive, captive to the system, afraid for his own life. And the jailer experienced human freedom in the undeserving love of Christ shown by Paul and Silas that day. Once the physical barriers came down, it was Christ's love shown to the jailer that broke down the barriers that were truly separating them from each other. The things that set the jailer free, that enabled him to see the face of Christ in the prisoner. What transpires when those barriers come down is a form of mutuality 
that helps them to see each other as human and as God's beloved. Paul and Silas told the jailer about Jesus. The jailer washed Paul and Silas's wounds. Paul and Silas baptized the jailer and his family. The jailer offered them something to eat. They each had something to give to one another. They each addressed each other's needs, the physical needs of food and healing, the spiritual needs of hope and grace and love. Moltmann writes, the, true, the truth of human freedom lies in the love that breaks down barriers. And in that moment, all three of them were free. So the Matthew 25 call to visit the prisoner is an invitation to share in this common humanity, to recognize that all of us are captive in some way, to sin, to fear, to oppressive systems, even ones that we benefit from. And this call is an invitation for all of us, by God's grace, to be set free. Building on his claim about human freedom, Moltmann writes, God allowed himself to be humiliated and crucified in the Son in order to free the oppressors and the oppressed from oppression itself and to open them up to the situation of free, sympathetic humanity. For whenever we serve one of the least of these, whenever we see one another's true humanity, we encounter Christ, the one by whom our humanity is measured and the one who came to set all of us free. So we, turn, we return to the struggle of this week's call. Not all of us will be able to visit a prisoner. In fact, most of us won't. But as we discover in Paul and Silas's encounter with the jailer, all of us are captive to something. All of us have things that prevent us from fully knowing one another. It might be our fear, our desire to live up to social expectations, or our participation in systems that keep us apart. But the challenge of Matthew 25 and the call to visit the prisoner is to recognize that our freedom can only be fully appreciated when we are participating in others' liberation as well. Sister Helen Pregene, author of that famous book-turned-movie Dead Man Walking, she spent her life and ministry as a Catholic, Catholic nun advocating against the death penalty. But her work in the prison system began much like my students, by writing letters and corresponding with Patrick Saunier, a man who was on death row for double murder. Her correspondence built a relationship with him, but it also invited her own reflection on what barrier walls kept her from seeing others as human and worthy of God's love. She wrote in the New York Times, I had to break out of two cocoons. One was the spiritual one that praying alone helped the world be a better place. And the other was white privilege because I was taken care of in every way. She wrote, nuns in that time were held in great regard. We could ride the buses for free. If we went to a restaurant, someone would pay our bill. I didn't know any poor people, she said. I didn't know that right down the street from the convent where I was living in New Orleans were 10 major housing projects. You grow up in these envelopes, she wrote. 
But the work of visiting the prisoner through letter writing invited a kind of liberation in herself. And when she was free, she could see Christ in others and work toward their freedom as well. So this call of Christ to visit the prisoner is an invitation to look at all the ways that we're held captive to sin and systems and to work toward breaking down barriers so that we can really see one another. The earthquake may have torn down the physical dividing walls in today's story, but it was Paul and Silas and the jailer who broke down the true barriers by seeing Christ in one another. It's what saved the jailer. It's what saved Paul. And it's what can save us. May it be so. Amen.